Joe David Wilson has graduated from this life. Going forward, we will continue to honor his legacy, knowledge, and love of thy Lord by continuing to play sermons pre-recorded prior to his graduation. We invite you to honor his memory by attending worship services or joining us online for a further Bible study. Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. Searching His mind, we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida. Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Matthew 1 and 1 is an interesting statement that a lot of people pay no attention to. The reason they pay no attention to it is they're in a hurry to get to something that they want to read that's interesting to them. But what is said in the first verse of Matthew 1 has everything to do with what we're doing here today. Our English word Bible comes from the Greek word Biblios. Here is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is Biblion in the diminutive form as it is used in the Luke, the fourth chapter, in the 17th verse. If you'll turn over there and you'll read. But what is understanding and is true is exactly what this book is. Now I'm going to read for you what I did in the Sunday school class this morning because uh, so many of us that weren't here. Uh, but I want you to read with me in the book of Jeremiah, the 36th chapter. And we want to read verses 1 through 4. What might not make as much sense to you now, I hope after the message is over, will make a lot of sense to you. Jeremiah 36, 1 through 4, it came to pass. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that the word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. And it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I propose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, and I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto the hymn upon a roll of a book. Now I look at the fourth chapter, if you'll turn there, in the 17th verse, if you hadn't read that before. It's time when Jesus had come to this synagogue. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Saturday. And the 17th verse says, 
And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Ancient books were written on Biblis or Papyrus read. And with Papyrus read. And from the Greeks they got the name Biblios. Which finally came to be applied to the sacred books. These are those that a lot of times people never looked at and paid much attention to and gave question to how they got there, what they were, and who wrote them. But we're interesting, we're entering into a time period today when a lot of people have a different way of trying to divest us of the truth and teach us in a manner that is not scriptural that God has commanded. The Bible is not merely a book. It is the book. The book that from the importance of its subject has the widest range of any book that's ever been written. And from the majesty of its author stands as high above all other books as the heaven is higher than the earth. And yet it is a book that has come into ill repute and question. Even by those that are in the Lord's church in some places for which we need to pay particular attention to what we read when we read it. I have often tried to make sure that everybody here as we study and worship the God of heaven pays particular attention to every word. There's a reason that every word must be enunciated and read in its proper context. It is no more important than any other word, yet when compiled and put together, it is the message of God. And to read the text or to read the message of God and to read it as though you were reading a newspaper which you'd fumble right through right quickly and not pay attention to every word, shows an understanding of the lack of interest and shows a concern for those who do not take the time to stop and slowly look at every word that is given. It's called a testament. The word testament means covenant. It's a term used to describe an agreement between God and His people. The word testament was not in the Old or the New Testament. It was really first used by Riggin in the 3rd century. But on this testament, we understand there are two covenants. The Old deals with the calling and the history of the Jewish people. The New Testament deals with the history and the application of the redemption wrought by the Lord Jesus Christ. This testament, this covenant, is that which we call Scripture. The Bible is called Scripture. Look at Mark 12 while you're there, if you're not too far away in uh, Luke. Turn to the book of Mark, the 12th chapter, and the 10th verse. And you'll see that this verse is not an unfamiliar word in uh, the study of the Word of God. It says, have you not read this scripture? What is scripture? Well, the scripture is that which was written down. Now, the question comes about, from whom, of whom, and how 
was it written down? So when you have the Bible, which is a testament or a covenant, which is written down, you have something that is most accurately called the Word of God. Of all the names given to the Bible, the Word of God is the most definitive that is used. The Word of God gathers up all the most significant and impressive and complete words of our language and gives it to us in a way that thrills and fills and excites and edifies all who participate in its reading and studying. I go a lot of times in places and see people sitting around reading things. And I have tried to get involved in reading different things other than the Bible or the study of the Word of God. And I don't come away with the same thrill or the same feeling or emotional involvement with other things as I do God's Word. And I see people, they'll go get them a cup of coffee and the first thing they do is grab them some novel and start reading. Or they'll go get them a paper and grab it and start reading. And I wonder what they are lacking that that is filling. But then when you read the Word of God, the Word of God climbs to a crescendo or to a place that is higher than that of man's ability to write. It takes us to a realm that fills the soul far more than any other of that that is written by man. We talk about the genius of Shakespeare, or the genius of Tennyson, or any of other the great authors or writers. And we always come away lacking something as we read and follow these writings. But when you come and read the Word of God, It shows the divine utterance of divine wisdom and shows the feeling that the soul is longing to receive. Some tell me every once in a while, well, I don't enjoy reading the Bible. What you enjoy is what you spend your time learning to enjoy. I don't think there's any of us that enjoy taking medicine so we can be healthy and be prepared to live in this world. I've never tasted a medicine that you can get enjoyment from, which at first you had no enjoyment. When we were raising David, we had a thing we used to give him called Vitamin I don't know if you've ever heard of that product or not, but he didn't have that horrendous an appetite. So... His mama found this stuff, and that was the worst tasting stuff I ever tasted in my life. And I'll tell you folks, to almost uh, to the point of not being a good parent, you'd almost not give him that stuff because it tasted so badly. Yet I'm here to tell you that by two or three years time passed, and maybe even today if he could get a hold of something, they quit making it. It's too good, you know, they quit making it. But by the time that he got used to the taste... He began to crave, to desire. It tasted good. Now you know that's a lot of trouble with people and the Word of God. There are other things that are involved in. There's other things that they want. There's other needs that they put in front of their soul. 
And because they do that, they don't get an enjoyment and a fulfilling when it comes to the Word of God. To them, it's just more words. Well, you then come to the place to understand that the Word of God came by inspiration. Now, there's a verse of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, I think all of us have known ever since we were knee high to a duck. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspired actually literally means God breathed. It's composed of two words, theo in the Greek language, which is God, and name, which means to breathe. It was a conscious breathing, not an unconscious one. As defined by Paul, it is the strong conscious inbreathing of God into men, qualifying them to the utterance of the truth. It is God speaking through men. It is as God spoke every word with his own lips. The scripture are a result then of divine inbreathing. Just as human speech is uttered by breathing through a man's mouth, so the scriptures came as God breathed it into they who were inspired to speak. Now all scripture is given by inspiration. But what we pay no attention to is the word all. Accuracy is never questioned when it comes to the word of God. Because the scriptures came from the Spirit of God. But when accuracy is questioned, there is a way that people have today of questioning that. And if you don't pay particular attention to what you're listening to, cause you to question it themselves. There's a new thing amongst members of religion today that talk about inspiration. When you ask somebody, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? You better listen to what they say. Because they believe in illumination. Illumination is that which they think is a divine action on the mind of man. And when that divine action takes place on the mind of man, it gives rise to the doctrines and teachings that they appeal to, that satisfies them, that causes them to feel as though God is working through them. Now this is not the inspiration that Paul speaks about. This is what today denominationalism calls inspiration only when you get right down to the nitty gritty it is what they call and determine to be illumination it's God working on the mind of man it's God dealing with man to reveal man his word it does not necessitate nor does it involve the actual wording that God determines to have given. Now when you talk about scripture, when you talk about inspiration, when you talk about revelation, the mind has been given up so that the accuracy 
can be complete. But when you talk about illumination, the mind is the action through which the revelation has come and called inspiration. So when somebody tells you, well, I believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. I believe that the Word of God is inspired. Do you believe it's inspired in word, content, or intent? Or do you follow the theory of illumination? Illumination is the intuitive faculty that grasps the supernatural, they tell us, that lays hold of God and spiritual things. That whatever insight into the nature and being of God is given man is produced by the divine spirit playing upon the spiritual faculty in that man. Therefore, it illuminates and delivers the oracles of God. And these are current, and these are those which men are involved in today. Man is able to see the perfection of God is enabled to penetrate into his will and to know what God would want to have said. And oh yes, and it is current and relevant, relevant to today's society. Our revelation or inspiration is continuing. It is something that has always that that's a part of the illuminated man. It continues to be. God continues to reveal. God continues. Ray and I went one time to uh, talk to a man about the Word of God. And as we asked him about the Word of God, he said, we're going to just completely quit using the Bible after so long a time. We have so much of the Holy Ghost and so much of inspiration that we no longer need it. We've got it and we write our own copy daily. Yet if you ask this man if he believed the inspiration of the Word of God... He'd say affirmatively, yes, sir. Now, true, there's a fire that does burn in the Bible. The devout student may catch its flame. This work is not in the revealing, though, of the mind of man. It's in the revealing of the mind of God. And the mind of man has never been the means through which God sought to reveal his mind. There are things that we misunderstand and don't comprehend that the mind of God has taught us. And that because of the conscious and unconscious uh, working of the mind that we are possessed and given by God, we may not comprehend and understand as completely as we would be in years or times that come. That as a culmination of work and study brings about, we may be able to comprehend what God had said which at the time read, could not. When God is inspired, He has stated things that He made known for man's mind not to receive, as well as to receive. There are things in the inspiration of the Word of God that are both positive and negative. There are things that God has not involved man in, but has stated directly and intentionally of it Himself. You say, well, that sounds like a riddle. Well, let me show you how the riddle works out. Turn to the book of John, the 11th chapter. You remember when Jesus went to the gravesite of his friend, Lazarus. There's a statement made that is true and it's not because of the intellect or the understanding or the illumination or the mind speculation or the penetration into the will of God that was ever given man. 
Are you with me? In the book of John, the 11th chapter, the 49th through the 52nd verse. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that this, that it is expedient for us that one should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. The big high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Now Caiaphas was not the original high priest. That was the job of Annas. But Annas, Annas and the Roman procurators didn't get along. So Caiaphas was then given that job because he was a pleasant guy and could get along with everybody. But being the high priest of God, when having the blessings of the Urim and the Thummim, he could prophesy concerning things which he did not understand and did not know. Were not of himself, was not of his intellect, did not come from illumination, did not come in, uh, in looking into or penetrating the will of God, was not a part of a spiritual faculty that he possessed, and was not a part of his nature or his being. So the question comes, well, how did he state what he stated? It came by inspiration. Now, inspiration, of course, has stated those things which are good and those that are bad. If somebody says, I, better, I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, you better ask him what he means by inspiration. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 2.13 that the natural things are of man, but those which are of the Spirit come not to man. He was going into a new region with no parallel in the writings of man or the genius of the mind of man. There was an unknown quality in this divine inspiration that could be easily detected. It wouldn't be something that you would know and realize. You know, there's a lot of times when people don't see things that are right in front of their face and they understand. When Jesus for instance, was coming to the upper coast of Caesarea Philippi, if you want to turn to Matthew 16. They asked, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that I are Elias, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Whom say ye that I, the Son of Man, am? And all of a sudden, without question, without appointment, without somebody pointing him out, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then makes a statement. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And of course I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, denominationalism today has tried to negate and try to cause some division amongst the brethren. They derive the idea that inspiration is verbatim reporting. Have you ever run into that? Somebody who would call the Word of God verbatim reporting? What they mean is that everything that is stated in the Scriptures comes verbatim as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. 
What they infer is that the person who is giving you that information did not have any means by which their intellect, their idiosyncrasies, their way of life, their comprehension, or their understanding was involved. What they mean to instruct you with is that it, it was something that came as though it was by a robot. Now verbatim reporting has been given a bad name. It's been given a bad name because there's a problem that they're trying to solve in another way. And this problem that they're trying to solve is to try to get new translations of the Word of God into the minds and the hands of men. They want to get a little of their wisdom in it. They want a little of their history in it. They want to show a little of their religious preferences. And so what they're trying to get you to believe and to say is that if you believe that the Bible has verbatim reporting, they can convince you, and it's stated a fact, that there were ways that men put things in different thought patterns that other men didn't use these thought patterns to so state. Or, for instance, if you've read a lot from the Apostle Paul, you won't get the same ease that you do if you read from the Apostle Peter. That you won't get the same ease that you might have if you've studied a whole lot from James. The reason being is what they don't understand. The Holy Spirit is so much a power as we know it as God that not only did He take over the mind, the expression, the background, the idiosyncrasies, the way of speaking of the man whom he was inspiring, but he took them over to the extent that you could follow that in the reading and be able to recognize Paul from Peter, from James, from Matthew, anytime you're ready. Now that doesn't mean that verbatim inspiration is a false concept. What it does mean is that the concept or the thought was not that of the man. The concept or the thought was that of the Holy Spirit that used the mind of man in his natural faculty. And in using it in that natural faculty, he was speaking as his idiosyncrasy, his background, his understanding would be used in a natural way if he wrote letters to somebody in a natural realm and gave him things of his own accord. Or let me say it another way. If the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul, he used the mind of Paul, the the, the means and understanding and the comprehension and instruction. But in no sense of the word was Paul allowed to have the scriptures in content or intent. The Holy Spirit used what Paul 
had as a natural ability, as a natural man, and used the words of Paul that the Spirit inspired Paul to use. And therefore, without question or doubt, there's nothing more than that than what we had. So when somebody says, well, you know, Peter's a whole lot easier for me to read than Paul. Well, frankly, to me, he's not. The reason being is I've spent so much more time studying from the Apostle Paul. And the way that it is worded by the Holy Spirit through Peter is not as fulfilling to me as it is without studying or in studying Paul because I've not spent that much time. So when I go to read from the book of writings of Peter, I spend a whole lot more time and a whole lot more study and a whole lot more effort because what you use is what you have a comfort level in being participant in. Inspiration. Verbatim reporting. Then they come up with this thing called universal Christian inspiration or illumination. That is, everybody gets themselves a new Bible every day. Then they come up with this mechanical or dynamic inspiration. It ignores everything that the Word of God has said that they don't want the Holy Spirit to teach. All folks, what is going on is that they are attacking the credibility of the Word of God in a way that if you're not listening, you don't catch on to. And they are using this as a process or means to teach a false doctrine which the Word of God doesn't teach. Let, let me give you some examples. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, the fourth chapter. I, I want to read you some stuff here, and, and this is not something that is going to be long and, and, and drawn out, but I want to read this to you. And, and as we, we read this, we want to look and see what it says. Come now, therefore, Moses, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. Now watch this. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me, you may... Uh, you may under, uh, me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name, and what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Now when Moses went to the children of Israel and told him these things in the 10th verse of the 4th chapter, listen to what he said. You ready? Now just flip over a chapter to Exodus 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither heretofore, heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I'm slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, 
Who made man's mouth? Or who maketh the deaf, or the dumb, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou shalt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he'll be glad in his heart. Now listen to what God said to Moses. When I send you, I'm going to put the words in your mouth that I intend for you to say. Look at the, at the book of Deuteronomy. The fourth chapter. You'll see that Paul, I mean that uh, Moses, records the same thing. And when he records these things, we can understand the message of God and the way that God had intended for this to be done. This is the old saying that the, the Jews always quote when they come into a religious service. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you. Neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. It's not illumination. It's not understanding. It's not penetrating the will of God so that man can explain God to man. It's not writing a catechism or a creed or a manual because man does not understand God. But the basis and the premise of the catechism, of the creed, of the manual, of the church doctrine book, or whatever you verbiage you want to use that denominationalism has put the world, unfortunately, into today is because they think they can explain God better than God could explain Himself. And they go to the trouble of doing so. The Bible in the New Testament claims the same thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Holy men of old spake as they were moved, borne along, or as they were inspired by the Spirit of God to write. Jeremiah told Baruch, you go and you read what I have had you write down and read. In the book of Acts, the 28th chapter, Paul was concluding his message to the Jew as it was given in the book of Acts. He had the Jews come together. Look with me in Acts 28 and 25. He had the Jews come together, and as they came together, he said, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Because he had given the prophecy of Isaiah. Hearing, you'll hear and shall not understand. Seeing, you'll see and not perceive. Words and thoughts are given, my friend whether meditatively or immediately under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and they were exactly as if the writing hand or instrument of the mind of man was not used at all. Get this in your mind. Understand this as you read. You are reading from the mind of God. All He used 
the means of expression that was given the apostles. But that just shows the greater power and the greater majesty and the greater magnitude of power that the Holy Spirit possessed. These words and thoughts were given. They weren't in content. They weren't in intent. They were as the Spirit inspired that apostle to use what his native abilities were to express it as God determined it should be expressed. So when we talk about inspiration, we're not talking about somebody's spiritual inclination or faculty or being illuminated or knowing the oracles of God in a way that God is giving him these revelations day by day or week by week. We're not talking about somebody being able to write new books or new chronicles that will enable man to finally understand the mind of God because God cannot express himself so man can understand him. We're talking about God actually speaking to us as the Spirit gave him utterance. Listen, on the day of Pentecost, they were always one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house when they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them. Now watch this. And they all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. You don't have to worry about the credibility of a statement in the Word of God. You don't have to worry about whether or not that is the truth. And it leads you into the peace and happiness that God has promised those that love Him. You don't have to worry about whether the intent or the content or the thought process was messed up by maybe him and his wife weren't getting along before he gave this inspiration. Or maybe he had a bad day in the stock market. Or maybe, you know, he just wasn't living that kind of life. The Bible, the Word of God is plenarily inspired And for the new translations to come along to try to make this book seem to have a way to express itself that God has not the ability to express shows the inclination of man to deny the inspiration of the scriptures. That's the reason we have so much trouble a lot of times with the newfangled translations. They put words where they shouldn't be. They leave out words where they shouldn't be left out. What gave them that greater wisdom? All they claim is their illumination. Who can describe by what means illumination has to reach before you can determine what words are good and what words are bad? And who are you to determine this anyway? Oh, they claim because of the revelations that was given or the greater science of interpretation or the greater degree of the depth of the study that they have mined in the uh, minds of the uh, Greek language. Oh, it's been now for hundreds of years that the Word of God has been inspired for those who would read it and study it never to have needed all of this wisdom and all of this information and all of this illumination and people have been obedient to the God of heaven and died and gone to heaven in peace with it. 
So there's another reason. There's another purpose. And you'd better watch and listen to what somebody is telling you when they claim to believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. Illumination. Oh, sure, there is such a thing as illumination, as reading and studying will allow you. A man who's exercised in anything always gets better. When he studies with his mind, he learns with his mind. And, of course, God is the instructor of the mind. And if he doesn't uh, approach the study of the Word of God with prejudices or preconceived ideas, but studies, uh, approaches the study of the Word of God with an open mind, saying, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth, command, and I'll obey. Illumination is a possible thing, but not in deference to or lack of respect for what has been written and given. What is inspiration? Is it verbal? Is it something that comes about by a verbatim reporting? Is it something that is universal that comes to illumination? Is it by concept or thought? Or then finally, the last thing they use is partial. You'll find that some people believe that there's what is called partial inspiration. Some part of the the Word of God is inspired, other parts aren't. We've been discussing and studying this over the past little bit, and what I wanted to do was express to you without question or concern that there is no word written in the Word of God that is given us in the New Testament or old that came as a partially inspired book. I ran into this years ago when I was preaching the gospel and we were talking about uh, John 9.31. Somebody said, well that is an uninspired statement in an inspired book. I looked at him and I said, that sounds like a good riddle. How could you do that? You see, if the scriptures are given by inspiration, then it has nothing to do with the person who made the statement that the scriptures put them in there and record it. I don't believe you've got to be baptized to be saved because Paul said so. I don't believe that we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week because Paul taught it. He was used as a means to deliver the message from the God called the Holy Spirit who was able to control and use every mechanism of Paul's ability to teach what God had intended for man. And everything he put in there is inspired of God. So we don't go around questioning, well, is that inspired? Or is that inspired? I had a lady one time give me a book. And she said, now I've underlined the important things. And when you read, you read that that I've underlined. I looked at her and I said, well, how could I determine or know that you know what's important and nobody else does? You see, it's all or none. And that's what we have to understand. And that's what God has given us the confidence and the instruction to believe. All Scripture is given by inspiration. All of it. What wouldn't matter what is in the Word of God. It came by inspiration. Wouldn't matter who said it. Wouldn't matter who wrote it. It came by inspiration. And his inspi- inspiration is the means by which we know and understand. And we can confidently follow our captain, our conductor of salvation, and believe that everything he's taught and preached 
and had his disciples deliver will lead us through the gates of eternal peace and happiness in the abode of God. Inspiration. Interesting thought. If you don't know these things, people can cause you to believe things you don't even know that you believe. So as you study the Word of God, have the joy and the fulfillment and knowing of all things as a menial, low-minded servant and student, you can come to the mind of God and read and study His thoughts. If you're here and need to respond to the invitation of the gospel, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Yeah, He said that. Oh, you know what? I just have to bring this in. They tell us that Mark 16, 16 is not in the original, that somebody added it by their own mind. They've told us these things and a lot of people have believed it and they'll think, well, you know, that's not a part of the Word of God. Listen, folks, it's given by inspiration. It's there in the text. It's there because God intended it for us to have it. So if you're not a Christian, will you come as we stand and see? We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. If you would like a tape of today's program, write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word, the Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson. Thank you for joining us on this segment called Searching the Scriptures. On this segment, we'll be discussing subjects that people tell you God has taught, which in fact He has not. We will cite book, chapter, and verse, or thus saith the Lord. We will explain by your comprehension which is easily done, that God has not commanded these things, then it will be up to you to decide. We will not leave the devil the last word in any discussion concerning the scriptures. Our premise is to have you write these, and we will discuss them. So send these emails, if you will please, to the PSL Church of Christ at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, YouTube, and our website again, pslchurchofchrist.com. Thank you for studying with us. I have often been asked questions about the scriptures. I have no interest in social events of the day, since these events will never change the way yours or my soul will be determined for eternity. We add to this effort a teaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified in an attempt to teach more truth and searching the mind of God. We'll never attempt to be coy or mean-spirited, but straightforward and truthful, always citing a book, chapter, and verse, or thus saith the Lord. We will not answer by opinion, nor what a Bible college teaches, or tradition, or seminary, or, for that matter, even our parents. A personal witness or revelation will answer no question about the Bible, the only satisfying answer will be the Word of God. We'll be doing this weekly, and these answers will appear on our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, 
WordPress, and iTunes podcast. Hoping this will help you gain more knowledge of the scriptures, we'll state the question and then the Bible answer. The first thing we're going to be talking about today is that word that you hear so much used in reference to preachers. Can you call the preacher reverend? The Bible teaches that in the Psalms 111 verse 9, Thou hast set salvation unto thy people, thou hast commanded thy covenant forever. Holy and reverend is God's name. The word for reverend comes from the Hebrew word yare, and by definition, it means to fear, revere, or be afraid of, to stand in awe of, or to respect and honor. That's in the qual tense of the Hebrew language. In the nipful tense, it means to be fearful, be dreadful, be feared, to cause to have astonishment or awe, to be held in awe, or to inspire reverence or godly fear or awe. In the peel tense, it is to make afraid or to terrify. Now, I'm sure that nobody who is calling a preacher reverend has any idea what the word itself means. But we, in a lot of instances in religious discussion, have come about and made our own definitions to fit our own desires. In an attempt to try to make the preacher separate and distinct and above those that are members of the regular assembly or congregation, there are, they, there are those who try to call the preacher reverend is a matter of distinction. When Jesus taught that the scriptures demanded we all be just brethren. In fact, the servant is the term that is used not only of Jesus Christ or Paul the apostle, but all those who were ministers of the gospel of Christ in the first century. We did not call the preacher reverend. We did not attempt to allow anyone to bear the name of God, nor did we try to make a distinction, as in denominationalism, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, in giving people certain names of degrees of distinction which would set them high and aloft and beyond others. The Latin language has come into play and has been used in the English not to be understood by definition. The word clergy is that which means something of distinction and then laity, something else. Laity means the commoner, where clergy meant the priest or someone of a higher order. You'll never find this in the New Testament. No one is ever given, nobody calls Paul Reverend Paul or Priest Timothy. These were not terminologies that were used. In fact, the scriptures teach that we are to call no man any religious distinctive term. Jesus speaking himself in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, said, Call no man father, for no man is your father, but God which is in heaven. Now, he didn't mean this in a physical sense that you can't cite your earthly father by using that terminology he was talking about this in a scriptural sense and that no one has oversight or can lord over or can be in distinction greater or higher than any other member of the church. We do not, in any sense of the word then, allow preachers in the churches of Christ 
to bear the name reverend, nor by that fact do we call them pastor. Now, you notice the word pastor is never used in the New Testament in a singular sense. It is always in the plural, meaning more than one. A congregation of the churches of Christ would have pastors. That is not singular. That is plural. So there had to be at least more than one. And a pastor is a term which relates itself to an elder or someone who has oversight or is in the process of helping direct, teach, instruct those who had social situations and concerns in the Lord's Church of the first century. That to the Gentile congregations in particular. There's another thing that we don't call preachers. We don't call them rabbi. We don't speak the Aramaic language, nor do we understand it in the sense that we can use terms such as that. Aramaic language was a combination of the Hebrew and the Greek of that day. And in that sense was a term that was many times caused confusion in reading the scriptures when somebody calls another person rabbi. Now they call the Lord rabbi. And that means God or the Lord. And it was a distinction that he alone could allow and would be used to call. You never heard Peter called a rabbi Peter. Or you never heard Paul called Reverend Paul. Or you never heard one of the apostles having any clerical distinctive name other than just the common name brother. We're brothers in Christ. We all are born of water and the spirit. We've all been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And therefore, we do not entertain the calling of the preachers with religious names to give distinction and honor above those of their brethren. Thank you. That's good. Now, what does this mean? Record level, low cut filler or whatever that is? Well, it you said... Press the stop button like you normally do? Yeah, I guess. I don't pay attention to it when I cut it off. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or, if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.